money mindset. I know a lot of you listening already know that the mindset piece of everything is very important. So you're already ahead of like 90% of people. But most people I talk to don't even realize that mindset is really what's holding them back from being able to do the things they want to do with money. So what is happening if you don't have a good money mindset is your thoughts are affecting your behaviors. And when your financial behaviors aren't in line with what you want because of your thoughts, that's going to create a lot of stress. You're not going to get the results you want, etc. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Empower with M. I am your host, Emily Jane Saroff, but you can call me M. I hope you're ready to expand your mindset, raise your vibrations, break through limiting beliefs, and to seriously start owning your power. But before we dive into today's episode, if you haven't already, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss out on any of my episodes. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I sure am ready. So let's get empowered. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. I'm so excited for this guest episode today because we're going to be talking all about money mindset and how to be managing your money smart, particularly if you're an entrepreneur or you have a business or maybe you just want to learn how to manage your personal finances better because I am joined today by a money coach. So I'm so excited to welcome Lindsay Nelson. No, I butchered that. I butchered that. I even had it like typed out. <laughs> Lindsay Nelson. (laughs) So welcome, Lindsay. It's so nice to have you here. Would you like to introduce yourself to everyone? Thanks, Emily. Yeah, I'm Lindsay, also known as your money BFF. It's a little easier than Nelson. I'm a money coach. So I help 20 and 30 somethings grow their money through investing so that they don't have to worry about if they'll be financially secure in the future. Mm, See, and I love that. And particularly because like majority of my listeners are, you know, ranging from that 20 to 40 year old bracket and everyone's super interested in obviously how to like, we want to, we want to grow our income, right? We don't want to be like, you know, getting ourselves into a negative place financially at this sort of point in our lives. I guess, why don't you kick off by telling us like, what is the importance of really getting a handle on your finances from these sorts of ages? I think money is one of those things that we uh, causes us a lot of stress. Like when, I don't know about other countries, but I know in the US, this is going to start off really sad, but the number one cause of divorce in the US is money troubles. And there's also a lot of other things that you probably know anecdotally that you've had a lot of problems with, or a family member has had a lot of problems with that has stemmed from money and getting a handle on it especially early in your life, but really any time can take away some of that stress and help you better be able to handle all of these other areas of our lives that are frankly so much more important than money. I believe money is just a tool for being able to live your best life. And anybody that says money can buy happiness or money can't buy happiness, they're both kind of correct to some extent, right? Like if you don't have enough, you're going to probably feel really bad. But if you have too much or not too much, but if you don't know how to handle it, it's also going to feel bad no matter how much you have. Exactly that, right? And I think that's like, it's crazy how you mentioned that 
finances is the thing that's sort of like the biggest catalyst for divorces in the US at the moment, because I do see where that sort of comes from. Like when we have a negative relationship with money, it is going to cause us stress and it is going to creep in and have an impact on everything else in our life. It's like anything to do with your mindset, right? Like you have a struggle with something, it's going to build up and then eventually impact, you know, the environment around you as well. So We're going to have a big chat today about like obviously developing a good money mindset. But before we get into that, you mentioned a word before that I want you to like break down a little bit further for our listeners in case they're not familiar with it. So you mentioned that you specifically help 20 to 30 year olds become financially literate. So what is financial literacy for anyone who's maybe unfamiliar with this term? Yeah, that's a great question. Financial literacy are the basics of managing your money. So things like budgeting, which I I don't like that word and we can get more into that later, but things like budgeting, knowing how much you're making every month, knowing how much you're spending, being able to invest or at least know what a stock is or your options for retirement accounts, which are like special bank accounts that often have tax advantages depending on your country. So that's what financial literacy is in a nutshell. I'm so interested. So how come you don't like the word budgeting? When you think of budgeting, what's the first thing that comes to your mind, Emily? I want to get this answer from you first. Um, Well, I would say when I think of budgeting, I think of like, I feel like I'm having to be restricted and tight and I don't like that feeling. So I think that's why I don't budget right now, which I should, but I don't. (laughs) Yes. And I feel like it bugs me so much because I have the exact same feelings that come to mind when I think about budgeting. I remember when I first got out of college, it was like my first month out. I had just gotten back from a month long trip in Europe. So I think I had maybe two or $300 left in my bank account. Um, I didn't go into debt for it, thank God, but I was really stressed. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. I live in a high cost of living area. And like, this is how much I think I'll spend on this stuff. Like, and then I think I spent like, I spent a while making a budget for myself. And then I, and then the next day I went out to dinner with some friends and I like blew the budget and I was like, this feels terrible. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't spend a lot of money on clothes. That's not something that's really important to me. So I have like this hundred dollar budget for clothes and this hundred dollar budget for eating out when really I spend $200 on eating out and usually $0 on clothes. So I didn't like how that felt. I felt really restricted. And so what I started doing instead is what I've recently found out is called anti-budgeting. And I love that phrase because so many people hate to budget, myself included. And what I started doing was instead of budgeting, I just tracked my spending on the back end. So every month I go through my finances and this is something I work with my clients doing as well, is I just spend about an hour. I literally just did this for the month of July before we started getting on this podcast. And I track everything I spent on, whether it was a Venmo to a friend for lunch we did last week, or my car wash or going to a restaurant or whatever, so that I know how much I'm spending. And as long as I'm spending less than I'm making overall, and I'm hitting my other goals, like me and my husband are saving for a house right now, then I know that I'm getting to my goals, but it doesn't really matter how I get there. Right. So that's what I think of when I think of budgeting. And that's what I, and this is what I've done to kind of overcome that not only for myself, but for my clients too. I love that. And it's so funny because I'd never heard of anti-budgeting before, but that's literally what I do because I'm like, okay, Emily, you're a business owner. You need to know what's going on with your cash flow. You need to know what's coming in and what's coming out. And if you are profiting at the end of the month sort of thing, 
And so, yeah, what I would do is rather than budgeting myself for the month, I always know, okay, what are the expenses in terms of like team members and courses I'm doing? Like what's the big sum that's always coming out? And then at the end of the month, just look at everything else that I sort of spent and be like, okay, is this like fine? Do I need to make changes? And it always turns out being fine. But like, um, yeah, it's really funny that you put a word to that sort of method that's in action right now. Yeah. And you know what? I can't take credit for that word, even though I really want to. And I don't remember who did it originally, but if you look it up on Google, I'm sure you can give that person the credit they deserve because it's a fantastic way to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So I love that. And that's sort of like, you know, this is all then um, the idea of like fan- financial literacy and anti-budgeting or budgeting. It all really comes down to really understanding your cash flow and what's coming in, what's coming out. And because obviously, you know, if you are in business in particular, well, anyone who is receiving money, you need to know what is coming in and what is coming up. But in business in particular, you want to make sure that you are profiting at the end of the month or whatever you're working on. So tell me then, when it comes to understanding cash flow, there's two key words that I've heard of before, and that's like assets and liabilities. So do you want to give a little bit of insights into what these two things are for us and how we can make sure that, you know, we do have enough assets or we are minimizing our liabilities and all of that? Yes, those are some fancy words you just threw around. So assets are things that make you money. So if you're an online coach, for example, if you have an online course, that's an asset. If you have a digital product, like an ebook or something, that's an asset. And then on the other side, there's liabilities. Liabilities are things that take money out of your pocket. So liabilities could be things like if you have a VA that you have on retainer every month, for example, that costs you $300, you have $300 worth of liabilities for that person. Or maybe you have a online software like Kajabi or Teachable or something. That's also a liability. And liabilities aren't necessarily a bad thing, right? Because they can be an investment into your business that end up making you money, but you still want to minimize those as much as possible so that your cash flow, which is assets minus liabilities every month, can be as high as possible, aka your profits. See, because I first heard about that concept when I was reading, I think it's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it like explained the concept really well for me. And then I was talking to a friend and we were just like having a chat and and she was like, okay, yes. So some of my assets are like, you know, I've got my car, which is an, an investment. And I was like, I actually just learned something. Did you know that a car is actually a liability because it's not technically an investment? And this is a mistake that everyone makes. They say, I've made an investment into my car, but as soon as you drive that car out of the driveway of the car yard, it loses money. And therefore, that's like purely a liability. It's not an investment in any way. And so it's like really interesting because I had only come to that realization myself after hearing those words and like understanding them for the first time. But then again, I was also having a conversation with someone else and on a similar topic, like you said, how liabilities don't necessarily need to be a bad thing. When you say, for example, invest in a coach or a VA or someone that's going to be helping your business bring back money, that is a liability that in itself is an investment. So I just thought that was really interesting because I know there's so many people who do have that sort of misconception of it all. And I love how you were able to like shine light on all of that for us. Yeah, that's so funny you say that because when you said assets and liabilities, that is the first thing I thought it was Robert Kiyosaki's book. And something that we can touch on here if you want to, I think it's really spicy, is 
in his book, and this didn't click for me for years after I read it because it was the first personal finance book I ever read, was he said that your house is not an asset. And I was like, oh, I mean, I guess. But in my head, I was like, okay, yeah, no, totally still is. But then once I started get, like really getting into personal finance, I was like, wow, the house you live in really is a liability. And generally, it's not a great investment. And everybody thinks like your house is your greatest investment. And yes, it goes up in value over time. But most people don't think about the massive costs it costs to own a home. For example, things like homeowners associations in the US can be upwards of three, four, five hundred dollars in some areas every single month. And that's equivalent to rent in other areas, right? And that's not even including property taxes or whatever else your country charges you to own a home. Okay. This is so fun. Like you're right. This is getting spicy because now you're just like, you've just ignited something. And I'm like, okay, we need to talk about this now. Okay. Cause I thought the same when I read that book as well. And it was like, I was like, what do you mean? Like a house is a liability. That's totally an investment. That's what I've been brought up believing. And then now this is the biggest, like sort of limiting belief that I've been carrying around that rent is dead money. Okay. I want to hear your thoughts on this. I want to hear your thoughts on the topic of is rent dead money or is it not dead money? Because what you just said there about investing in a house, it sounds like sometimes a house can also be dead money. So let's have a chat about this. Hey, (laughs) I love this. This is getting really spicy. Some people might turn it off at this point because everybody tells me this. They say that they want to buy a house. And I ask, well, why do you want to own a house? And they kind of pause and they go, and because it's kind of an aggressive question, to be honest. I mean, everybody wants to own a house. And they say, well, because I don't like throwing money away on rent. But what people don't realize and what I didn't realize up until I started coaching really and started talking to other money coaches is your rent is the maximum amount that you'll pay every month. I mean, maybe, yeah, you'll have utilities and whatnot if you're paying that separately. But generally, that's about the maximum amount that you're going to pay every month. With a home, your mortgage or whatever the equivalent is in your country, that's the minimum amount that you're paying every month to own that home. So there's a lot of other expenses associated with it. And so, which I've already touched on, it it really is a personal choice and you should know your options, but don't just go blindly into it thinking that renting is throwing money away. What a lot of people do, um, there's this guy, his name's Ramit Sethi. He's the author of I Will Teach You to Be Rich. Highly recommend, probably my favorite personal finance book of all time. And I've read like dozens. He rents by choice. And so what he does is he rents and then the money that he would pay towards things like HOA and stuff in his area, he invests that difference into the stock market. On average, the stock market has grown at a higher rate. At least the US stock market has grown at a higher rate than real than US real estate. U.S. real estate's grown at about 4%. The stock market over the past 40 years has grown 11.9%. So you're actually getting a much higher rate of return on the stock market than you would having that money in a house. Now, that's just for your primary residence. You know That can be different if you're renting that house out to someone or if you're doing something like house hacking. But just know that Owning a home is not your only option for building wealth. There are so many other ways. 
Yeah, see, I find that all so interesting because for so long I had sort of like carried around this belief of, no, I can't move out until I buy my own house because rent is dead money and why should I pay off someone else's mortgage, you know? And I love that you're able to like share this alternate, like alternative perspective. And particularly, this is something that I didn't realize before is how you said the difference in, you know, what you're saving from paying rent, you can be investing into something else and actually be making more money back off that itself. So I find that really, really interesting. And I think it all, it all like this whole topic of is rent dead money really just comes back to like where your money mindset is at, right? Like, so tell me then, like, what do you think the importance is of having a good money mindset? I think just mindset in general can be applied to literally any aspect of your life. Money is no exception. Money mindset. I know a lot of you listening already know that the mindset piece of everything is very important. So you're already ahead of like 90% of people. But most people I talk to don't even realize that mindset is really what's holding them back from being able to do the things they want to do with money. So what is happening if you don't have a good money mindset is your thoughts are affecting your behaviors. And when your financial behaviors aren't in line with what you want because of your thoughts, that's going to create a lot of stress. You're not going to get the results you want, et cetera. So tell me then, like, obviously you work with a lot of people on developing the right mindset to have towards money. What are some of the most like common fears or limited mindsets that you see people do develop when it comes to the topic of money? Oh, Emily, we're going to get spicy again. The biggest one I see, I just talked to a client about this yesterday. The biggest one I see is that rich people are evil. Or being rich, having money is going to make me a bad person. And we might not believe this outright, right? Like, oh, rich people are evil. That's ridiculous. There are some good rich people. But this might be reflected in your speech in other ways. Like if you've ever thought or said, I'd rather be happy than rich. Why not both? Or, oh, uh, oh, I had this client recently who I was talking about this with one-on-one and she was getting really deep into it. And she grew up in a low income household, but she went to a higher income high school. And she was telling me about her thoughts about rich people. And she's like, yeah, these people in my high school, they would just like get a new car every year. And it was so wasteful. And, and I was like, okay, so do you think that rich people are wasteful? And she goes, well, when you say it like that, I mean, that sounds pretty harsh, but yeah, that's what I think. And I don't want my kids to be ungrateful and all these things. I think another piece of this that people don't realize is, okay, Emily, when you think of an amount of money that you would need to be considered rich, how much do you think that would be? See, it's really interesting because like once upon a time, if you asked me, I'd probably be like, you have to be a millionaire, you know, if to be considered rich, you have to be a millionaire. But then obviously, as I've started to understand a little bit more about like, what do you need to live a rich life as in like a very full life that you can be happy with, I'd say that, you know, a lot less now, but in the general sort of like summary of things, like if you're rich, if you're a baller, you're a millionaire. (laughs) Okay. Here's the spicy thing though. Like in order to retire, and I know this is really far off for a lot of people listening, 
But retirement is just when you willingly stop working. And you can do that in your 30s. You can do that in your 40s. I have a whole workshop on it. If you want to watch and like see what I mean, we won't get super into that today. But in order to ever stop working permanently, comfortably, unless you live in a very low cost of living area, you actually have to become a millionaire in order to be comfortable in retirement. It's just not an option. See, that's really interesting. That is really interesting. So like in your definition of things, what do you define rich as? I don't necessarily have a number anymore because I'm so like deep into this. So rich isn't, when I think about it, like you, it sounds like it's more of a mindset than a number. Mm -hmm. But when I dig into money mindset with people, a lot of times rich has this negative connotation But at the same time, there's a cognitive dissonance because everybody wants to be rich at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, see, and and that like uh, limiting belief surrounding money that you were talking about is something that I can so relate to as well because I, for the first like six years of my education, I went to a high income school, but we were sort of like, we were like middle class. We were, we were very comfortable, but we were definitely like, you know, if you put me in a line next to all the other kids in the school, I was at the end of the line sort of thing in the, in the scale of income comparisons. So, yeah, it's really interesting because I could resonate with a lot of what you were saying there. And through doing a lot of work, I found that a lot of the money blocks that I had carried had come from that same sort of experience growing up in my childhood. But then I want to talk shortly about like, you know, how do we overcome these things and develop a good money mindset? But there's another sort of like limiting belief that I hear a lot of people say, and it's that they don't want to spend money because once they spend it, the number goes down and that number's gone, right? And I believe that that's like the worst mindset you could get yourself into because me personally, I believe that energy is a money. If it's going to go out, it's going to come back in. And if you put it out in the right ways, it's going to come back in tenfold. So what's your sort of, you know, your sort of input on this area of once I spend money, it's gone and I don't want to see that number go down. Yes, this is the opposite problem that a lot of personal finance people talk about. So I feel like whenever I think about personal finance, I always think restricting and like, oh, I need to spend less money. And when that gets really extreme into people's psyche through conditioning, through society, life experiences, whatever, it becomes so extreme that people don't want to spend their money. And then they have all money sitting around. They don't even know what to do with. And it it's sad. It causes just as much stress as not having enough money sometimes. And so the way that I work through it with people is... I work with them on something called value-based spending or conscious spending, as my favorite Ramit Sethi says. And what I have them do is I have them go through all of their values. So if it's things like family, spending time with friends, saving for the future, and rank things in order of how much it's important to them. And then they can be like, okay, I want to spend a lot of money on this, spend extravagantly on this, but I'm going to cut all these things that don't matter to me. So for example, I have a lot of clients who really value travel and I'm like, dude, spend extravagantly on travel, start travel hacking, do all the things to make it so that you can travel because that's what you want your life to be. And what's something that you don't care about? And they'll be like, oh, I don't know, clothes or eating out or something. So they'll spend way less on that and then way more on what they care about. And it's just a balance. 
I think it's really important to be finding that balance as well for yourself sooner than later, because something that has really come to my awareness in like the past six months of obviously being able to grow my business and go from being in one financial position to another is that if you have a negative mindset when you have little money, you're also going to have a negative mindset when you have a lot of money. And it's so important that you are fixing that mindset that you do have towards money early because, you know, you could become a multi-millionaire, but if you have a negative money mindset, you're still going to be living in scarcity, right? You're not going to be able to be living abundantly or spending abundantly because you're still trapped in this poor person's mentality. So a big thing for anyone who is wanting to work on their money mindset is make sure you get control of like where your mindset's at at the start because you know, having an influx in your income, like having your income grow rapidly isn't going to change your money mindset. In fact, if you don't fix it while you have that little bit, even when you have a lot, you're still going to be very, very um, frugal and tight and and, uh, scarce, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree. That's the first step to making any financial changes is assessing your mindset and working through some of those things. Because you're right, things, no matter how much money you have, if you're feeling, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being frugal, right? If that's how you enjoy living your life, like you're really minimalist, you don't like spending a lot of money on anything, like that's great. But if it's stressing you out and it's always in the back of your mind, then Emily's right. No matter how much money you have, it's just not going to feel good. Exactly that. So Then, Lindsay, can you please tell us how we can really start to develop a good money mindset for ourselves? You know, if we're clear on some of the things that are holding us back, like how can we really overcome these? There's a lot of options you have. The three main things that I tell my clients are one, journaling, two, affirmations, and three, changing your speech. So journaling is something not everybody does. It can be kind of uncomfortable. So if you're into it, you can look up money mindset journaling prompts online. You can read You Are a Badass at Making Money by Jen Sincero, one of my my absolute favorite money mindset book, actually. You can do things like that. And then she has a lot of journaling prompts in there that you can work through. That's going to be very helpful. The second one I mentioned is affirmation. So if you recognize that you have this limiting belief through journaling or just thinking about it or talking with somebody about it, like a coach, then you can figure out what your limiting beliefs are. So for example, if your limiting belief is rich people are evil, then you can use the affirmation, I can be happy and rich or I am a great rich person or something that sounds better than that. (laughs) And then the third thing is your speech is so powerful. And the way that you talk about things really gets into your mind because your mind does not like cognitive dissonance and it's going to do everything in its power to always align with what you're saying or thinking. So instead of saying things and having conversations and reading articles about like why Jeff Bezos is evil, why billionaires shouldn't exist. And I'm not saying like these are bad things or things that are untrue. I'm just saying like, if this is the stuff that you're surrounding yourself with, it's not going to go well for your money mindset, regardless of whether it's true or not. So if you're having conversations with people like, oh my gosh, like if, if billionaires just donated all their money, then we could solve world hunger. Like, okay, cool. But like, that's not going to help you become more solution oriented for yourself instead of problem oriented for other people's problems or the world's problems that you can't solve. 
And what I love is how like those those things that you shared, those actionable steps that people can start taking, they're the same things that like you use to work through any mindset struggle, right? Like you do the journaling, you do the affirmations, you change the way that you're talking to yourself and to other people about these things as well. And it's just about continually doing that and creating new truths for yourself, right? Like, like you might be living this old truth that you believe that, you know, money is the root of all problems and is evil and it can cause this and that. But if you can then change your mindset, switch the perspective and just focus on all of the good that can come from money, all of the positive impacts. This is the biggest thing that I like to stress to my clients as well is the positive impact that you can go on to make by being able to make more money yourself. Like it really does flick a switch and change perspectives entirely for you. Yes. And one of my favorite quotes from that book that I was referencing earlier was, oh my gosh, what was it? Something along the lines of if everybody you knew became massively wealthy, imagine how much better the world would be. Imagine how much of a better place it'd be. I think she used the words, turn this mother around. And that's a really huge mindset shift. And I do want to emphasize that there's nothing wrong. Give yourself so much grace for having these beliefs because this is so entrenched in our society and it has been for what seems like thousands of years studying history. It's not your fault. It's not a bad thing. If you want to change them though, you can. Mm, I love that. So what I want to do is switch things up now and dive into a bit of a conversation about like how you can become smarter with your money as well. Like we've been talking a lot about the importance of money mindset and developing that good mindset. And then I think there's also a lot of like action that you need to take to actually practice being smart with your money. So can you tell us a little bit about how we can actually learn how to sort of spend our money better, whether it be within business, personal finances. And I know that you have, you know, your own grow your money system for getting financially secure. So if you want to share any insights into this sort of area with us, I would love for you to do so. Yes. Yeah. I have a whole system for that works for anyone, whether it's your personal finances or your business that will help you to become financially secure. And the first step is what we just talked about is assessing your situation. So that can be things like assessing your mindset, tracking your spending, like we talked about earlier as well, figuring out what's important to you. All those things that we just talked about are the first stage of the grow your money system. The second phase is prepare. And most people really skip over that whole assessment phase and they just move on to this prepare stage, trying to figure out like, how can I make more money? What do I need to invest in? What's going to make me rich? Like blah, blah, blah. And there is a certain amount of that you should do definitely. But where a lot of people get caught up, especially perfectionists, type A people, very smart people who always think that the more work I do, the more I know about something, the better I'll be at it. People get stuck in this phase because there is literally an infinite amount of things that you can learn about money. There are people who have PhDs in economics. Like you, I'm sorry, you will never learn everything there is to know about money. So in the stage that I've prepared in my growing money system, I take out everything that doesn't matter. So I personally don't talk about things like options trading or, um, like really advanced things that literally nobody wins at and just focus on the basics and the things that will get you to where you want to go actually faster than the hard stuff. So that's the second part of the system is just learning everything that you need to know, but not getting stuck in the things that you don't need to know. 
And then the third step is to execute. So you can know everything, right? You could, even if you ended up knowing everything, if you don't do anything, you're not going to get anywhere, right? It's like you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. The ball doesn't even have a chance to go into the hoop if you're not shooting it. So what you need to do once you know what you need to know, once you've assessed what you need to assess is actually do it, make the budget if that's what you're into or open the investment account or talk to your partner about money or hire a bookkeeper, whatever it is you need to do, actually do it. I love that. First of all, I love how excited you get when you're talking about money. Like for everyone that's listening, we're sitting on Zoom right now and like, it's just so adorable watching how excited Lindsay gets when she's talking about all this stuff. But I love that sort of system that you've just shared with us now. So really like the three, like the key takeaways I got from it is like step one is all about getting awareness around where your mindset is at right now and like where your spending's at at the moment, then gaining knowledge into like how you can obviously be, uh, you know, spending it wiser and also developing your mindset to be more abundant towards it all. And then the third step is taking the action. And I like that in your approach to things you really do fine tune and like cut out everything that isn't necessary to know because there is there's always so much you can learn about no matter what topic it is and I think that's sort of an area that loses people is when they're putting their focus and attention into things that aren't necessarily needed to be so I think that's a really awesome system you shared thanks yeah it's just it's so easy to get caught up in that because I'm sure that a lot of your listeners are probably overachievers like myself. I thought I had to know everything about investing or managing my finances to do it right. But you really, you, you don't actually, those people that are on wall street, for example, spending 16 hours a day and possibly a couple lines of Coke managing money, they actually do worse than just the stock market as a whole 90% of the time. Like it's ridiculous, but that will never stop because there's always those stock bros out there that think that they can do better than whatever, you know? So tell me that, like, obviously you've been working in the area of like money mindset and doing your research for some time now, and just continually on this like growth journey within this niche in particular. But if you could go back in time and you could tell your younger self, like, you know, some prime piece of money oriented advice, what would it be? It's going to get spicy. This is the number one thing. Every year you're not investing, you're losing tens of thousands of dollars, which equates to over a hundred dollars every single day you're losing by not investing. If I had started investing at 17 when I got my first job, that was, I think, like six years before I actually started investing at 23, which is still really young, I would have like hundreds of thousands of dollars more. And not that it really, I'm not, I don't regret it. But at the same time, I'm like, well, dang. So how can we start investing then? Because I'm 23 right now and I feel like I should really start investing, but I don't know where to start. So what's your advice for all of us noobs who want to get in the game, but don't know how to begin? Yes, I actually have a workshop. It's totally free. I can send you the link so that you can put it in the show notes. It's called How to Start Investing Without Spending Years Figuring Out Where to Start Like I Did. So you can watch that. It'll walk you through all the mistakes I made and all the steps that I took. I was able to grow my net worth, which is like 
all my assets minus all my liabilities to make a throwback. I was able to grow that to over $100,000 by the time I was 26 through doing all these steps and investing my money. So definitely watch that if you need a kick in the butt to get started. So first things first, yes, send me that link. I'll pop it in my show notes and I will also watch it myself because I know that my listeners would love to tune into that workshop also. Second thing, you said when you were 26, how old are you? You literally look like you're my age. Wait, how old are you? 23. Oh yeah, that's funny. I got that yesterday too, that I look 23. I'm 27. Oh, there you go. Well, you've got some wonderful genetics on you there. (laughs) Thanks. It's my skincare routine. And it's the genetics. Maybe we'll link the skincare routine in the um, show notes as well. So we can all tap into that also. (laughs) But Lindsay, thank you so much for your time today. Honestly, this has been such an incredible just conversation. Like I love talking about the topic of money. I think that I never used to like have an interest in talking about it until I did start my own business. And I realized the importance of being able to have these conversations and being able to understand how to be financially smart. So I really appreciate your time. It's been such an epic episode and I'm so excited to check out that workshop that you're going to send through. But thanks again, Lindsay. I hope you enjoyed yourself today also. Yeah. Thanks, Emily. This was so fun. I appreciate your openness talking about money. I know it's not everybody's favorite thing to talk about, but I hope that everybody feels a little bit more excited and optimistic about their finances after listening. And so, of course, I will put in the show notes your social media links, but do you want to share with everyone where they can find you and how they can connect with you if they're wanting to learn more about you and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. My main platform is Instagram. You can find me at your underscore money underscore BFF. And you can always DM me. I keep them open. I love talking to everyone. Amazing. Well, thanks, Lindsay. I appreciate you. And this has been so much fun. (laughs) Keep it spicy. (laughs) Thanks, Emily. You too. So that's a wrap on today's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast or know somebody who needs to hear this, then send this to them and share it to your stories tagging me at empower.with.m.podcast. If you want more from the podcast, make sure you jump on over to the Empower community on Facebook. I have popped the link in the show notes of this episode, so I can't wait for you to join me there. But that's all for me for now, fam. It's time I love you and leave you. So until we hang again, remember you can break through any limiting mindset, any limiting belief, and you can rise above any challenge and step up and truly be empowered.